listening to First Church Charlotte. And so that's a pretty good way to be known as a super friendly church. There's plenty of the non-friendly churches, so we want to err on the side of being super friendly. So God bless you all. Uh, real quick update on Passion Week. We take... Uh, one week a quarter and we do seven days of prayer and fasting. Um, I don't set a standard for everyone because different people are at different levels of comfort in terms of their prayer and their prayer time. What I want you to do is if you would join with us, I'd like you to set a time every day. Don't just see if it works out because you know how that happens. It never works out. Pick a time every day and pray. Uh, find your space, your moment, your place, and with your own, with the act of your own will, uh, you try to speak to God from your heart, and you make your confession, you make your consecration. Uh, we combined with this uh, fasting, there's various types of fasting. Uh, you can fast completely. We have some people who fast completely. You can tell they're the really grumpy people around the church. And so uh, some people just like will fast something really simple, like uh, cutting out something that maybe is unhealthy for them, uh, cutting out uh, sugar or coffee. No one ever cuts out coffee. That's not, that's not fasting. That's suicide. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so, uh, we, whatever you can do, there is a link between our flesh and resistance to the spirit. And the Bible gives us the image of fasting to show how we can break that link of the desires of our flesh to show and manifest our desire to move and understand the realm of the spirit. Can I have a big amen? Uh, the Jewish people had a, they would fast during the day and eat at night. So they would have 24 hour type fasts of a type, uh, Daniel fast, no pleasant things. He just ate the basic food. That's great. If you have to work hard and need energy, um, and that can be quite difficult fast going down to one meal a day. If you aren't in a situation where you can fast a lot is, can be quite difficult about the third or fourth day. If you don't think you're suffering, uh, you, you've got to quit sneaking in and accidentally going to Chick-fil-A because it is the spirit led me to Chick-fil-A. And the next thing I know, yeah, I've had that happen to me too. But anyway, um, also there's something else. Our men's ministry is making a trip to Whitewater Center. And so uh, there's a sign up sheet out front for you to go do magnificent and glorious and terrifying things there. And uh, is there anything, any other announcement I'm forgetting? I think that is covering it. Next Sunday, we start back our first steps, which is a small group I host after the 11 a.m. service. And it's Ask Me Anything. We feed you lunch. I have some themes that I want to share with you, but really it's an open, great way for us to get to know each other. And of course, Cinco de Mayo, Taco Sunday, this, whatever uh, they sell there is going to go to support our youth as they go to a national convention. So that's good stuff. Stand with me. We are in Ephesians chapter number three. You all look fantastic today, and I am glad to see you all in the house of the Lord. Um, I am. Uh, I want to say thank you to our praise and worship team. They just killed it today. They did a wonderful job. Magnificent. They're, uh, they're leading us into the presence of the Lord. Um, I knew they would do good on Easter, but I like a team that does just as good the Sunday after Easter as they did on Easter. That's, that's about as good a compliment. I should let you know there's no risk that I will preach as good this Sunday as I did last Sunday. So I hope you enjoyed the band. It's all downhill from here. So.
So um, I took our pastoral team to a prayer conference. And so in the last 36 hours, uh, we, uh, not all of us, but a good chunk of our pastoral team, we've driven 14 hours and been in eight hours of prayer meetings. Then showed up at the prayer room this morning at 8.30 and started having church. And so it's actually worse than that. While we drove down there in the van, I preached six amazing messages. They, there was so much brilliant that we, it's just like we nearly wrecked the van. It was such brilliant insight. Um, and the, that's, that's the good news. The bad news is I didn't get paid for any of them. So, guy, I'm getting paid today. That's all I have to say about that. So, Ephesians 3, we love you all. God bless you. Reading at verse number 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. Somebody say might. How's it going to happen? It's going to happen through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell. Somebody say dwell. Dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of God which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness. Somebody say fullness. The fullness of God. And then the most beautiful praise in all the scripture. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And everybody say the end with me. Forever and ever. Amen. Put your hands together one more time and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All blessings and honor and power to the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm preaching fulfilled. You may be seated. Get yourself sorted out. Get yourself settled in for a long spring nap. Because after all that prayer, I have a lot to say. After eight hours of prayer, you have to preach at least two hours. It says somewhere, somewhere in the scripture, I think Nathaniel 16 and 4, if thou prayest long, thou preachest, preachest longer. That's what it says. Anyway, uh, I am wanting so much in my life, I am wanting to host the presence of God as a daily, a daily uh, manner of being, as a, a style of life, as a manner in which I live. I I want to host the presence of God in my life. Does anybody else feel that way here in your life? Um, I, I'm aware that there is a risk for me and to, for you, but first let me talk about me, and then you'll feel better about you after you hear everything bad about me. Uh, there's a risk for me to be religious in the, in the term of a label, but not as a daily walk pursue the presence of God in my life. Uh, there, there's a risk for me to come to church and know how to do church. I, I'm a, I, I have a PhD in church. I know how to do church. I grew up in church. It's all I know. I was the little kid sleeping under the pew. Uh, people would come and harass me and get, try to wake me up. Uh, our, one, our assistant pastor at the time, uh, a, he was a retired pastor now, but after the service was over, I'd be asleep, and he'd come over, and he'd get down in my ear, and he would say, Young Nathan, this is the Lord. Wake up from your slumber. He never fooled me one time. I knew that sucker wasn't the Lord. <laughs> 
this, this is all I know, and there's a risk if you've been exposed to church a lot. Y'all, 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 y'all look at me here. I want you to hear this. If you miss everything else, I want you to get this. There's a risk for us where we have a form of godliness, but we're not walking with him. We have a form of godliness. We have a, we have a style. We know how to clap. We know when the offering is happening. We have a form of godliness, but we are denying the, the power that comes through relationship. In fact, it actually can be worse than that. We can, we can err in this way that what we really want is power, not presence. And why is this so risky? Because this is the path of Lucifer. That's what Lucifer wanted. He said, I will ascend to the heaven. I will take over the throne. I will replace God. I want the glory and I want the power, but I don't want presence in my life. And I don't want, just speaking for myself, I don't want to be the kind of Christian that I know how to talk. I know all the rules. I know, I know how to act religious. I know uh, I have the history. I know when to say amen, but I'm really not pursuing his presence in my daily life. Because here's the reality, no matter how long you have served the Lord, you still have the choice tomorrow of whether or not you are going to entertain his spirit tomorrow. I'm not being ugly to you, I love your guts, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It doesn't matter your pedigree. doesn't matter how spiritual your grandmother was. My spiritual, my grandmother was so spiritual that when she walked, her feet didn't touch the ground and angels followed, followed along behind her crying, unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. Uh, it doesn't matter. I have to choose tomorrow to pursue the presence of God in my life. I have to hunger and thirst. The blessing is for those who hunger and thirst. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul after thee, O God. Can I have some agreement? in this house. And so my challenge for you is not just to have a form of religion or a form of, of a label, to be one of the people who knows the power of Jesus' name but doesn't know the heart of God. Jesus warned us of this. There will be people who know the power of Jesus' name. They understand divine order, but they don't know me. It's possible for us to be religious and miss the heart of God. That's what happened to the Pharisees. That's what happened to the scribes. That's what happened to the legal uh, lawyers of the Jewish faith and Jewish tradition. They knew law. They knew covenant. They knew everything except they had no sense of the presence of God. And so in my life, I have to choose by the act of my will, by the intentional opening of my spirit, I have to say to the one who stands at the door and knocks, I have to say, I want you in my life. I want to wake up with a sense of thanksgiving in my heart. I want to walk outside with a sense of God's gift to me. I want to read the word with the understanding of just how much God moved heaven and earth that we might have unity together. As a church, I want us to be those who would pursue the presence of God. Lord Jesus, don't ever let us be satisfied just to have a label on us, Lord. Don't ever let us be satisfied just to have the occasional demonstration of, of some zeal or the demonstration of some even, even powerful moment. Lord Jesus, power is not what we're aiming for. We want you in our lives. We want your presence in our hearts. We crave your anointing in our gatherings. In Jesus' name I pray. And can somebody say amen in this place? 
And so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and I, I could, full disclosure, I could geek out on the book of Exodus, not Exodus, Ephesus uh, for a while simply because I, I love to know the context. And, and I was thinking this morning before church how Ephesus was the city where, where the apostle Paul spent the most time as a pastor with the exception of Antioch. Antioch was the only city where the apostle Paul spent more time in a pastoral role of training, developing, um, mentoring people than any other church anywhere in all of the, uh, the, the Eastern Asia or Western Asia and Eastern Europe where he traveled. He spent more time there. Ephesus was known as a religious center. It, it also had a lot of commerce, but it was known as a religious center. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there was the, the temple to the goddess Diana. And it was at Ephesus where Paul had the revivals where uh, so many people were set free from witchcraft. They brought their books, which back then books were very valuable. They brought their books and they burned what is if you do a economics or a, a in inflationary calculation, they burned a half a million dollars of books, and it set a riot in the city as other people thought they were desecrating uh, and being dishonorable to their gods. And this riot was formed, and you can read about it in Acts chapter nineteen, Acts chapter number twenty. Uh, there was this tremendous revival there. Uh, he was there for three years. When he left, the first time he was there, he left. Priscilla and Aquila to stay there and lead the revival. Uh, he came back. They had the great revival among the worshipers of Diana and the great breakthrough against witchcraft. And when he left the second time, he sent Timothy to be the pastor there. But he has connection to these people. He knows them. This isn't just faces in a crowd. Three years as their pastor before he continued on in his journey. He knows these people. And so in this book, he doesn't simply fix problems. Examples of books like that is 1st and 2nd Corinthians, where he's very much fixing problems. In this book, he follows a format that is pretty common for Paul. And again, this is all fun facts, and I know I'm kind of nerding out here, but just give me a moment more. Uh, he follows this format where first he gives you theology. First he gives you truth. It's not applied, but first it's truth. The first three chapters in Ephesus is the Apostle Paul giving a profound insight of spiritual truths, theological truths. After Romans, you could, a lot of scholars think after Romans that uh, this book of the Ephesians is the most theological of Paul's Paul's writings. Uh, that, of course, would be to treat Hebrews. We don't exactly know who wrote Hebrews. I personally think it was probably Apollo, but that's just personal. I have no word from the Lord, and if anybody tells you they do, you should be suspect because we just don't know. Uh, one of them wrote it, but uh, Paul Romans is his grand theological work. Ephesus is the second most theological work. But he does three chapters of, of theology, three chapters of truth, and then he does uh, three chapters of application, three chapters of spiritual insight. First, he's going to have you know the why and how God did it and divine truths and insight into the nature of God. Then, after three chapters, he's going to shift gears, and he's going to give you practical instruction on how you ought to live, how churches ought to operate, how we should treat one another, how we should prefer one another, etc., etc. And the 
The transition from theology to practical happens right here in the the text we read together, chapter number three of the book of Ephesians. And what he does is he shows what is happening on a spiritual level when the presence of God is working in a group of believers. Let me say that again. Something happens on a spiritual level to us individually and to us as a church when the presence of God moves in our midst. As I as I mentioned earlier, it's possible for us to want the power of God and not have the presence of God as a goal in our heart. It's possible for us to want to see power and dominion, uh, but not necessarily not necessarily celebrate the presence of God. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to stop that type of that type of uh, following after Christ here today. I want to tell you this: when you have His presence, you get all of His power. Can I have an amen from this side over here? When you get His presence, you have all of His authority. When you get his presence, you have all of the miraculous. You don't have to pray for the miraculous. You just have to ask God to show up. And when God is there, everything changes. This is so important because this is the lesson of God's revelation of himself from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament. The point is his presence. Remember the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer's talking about the great uh, heroes of faith. And he says this, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. What is he talking about? He's talking about the restoration of God's presence as a fellowship, as a divine fellowship. Sin in the garden separated us from what? The presence of God. Now, all of these people in the Old Testament, they saw the miraculous, but they did not receive the promise of his presence. They saw the Red Sea open, but they did not receive the gift of his presence. They saw the dead raised, but they did not have his promise. They all died in faith, not having received that promise. But you, oh, praise God, somebody, you have the opportunity, man. You have the opportunity to to walk with him. Did you hear what I said? You have the opportunity to enjoy his presence in your life if you want to. Man, I wish I could breathe. If you want to tomorrow, you can celebrate his presence all day long. You can create in your day a place of thanksgiving, a place of worship, and he will enter in with you and he will commune with you. Let's not be so in love with the idea of divine power that we miss the point of divine presence because when God is with you, you have all the power you need. And this, this lesson of the presence of God is so powerful that Paul is going to manifest for you. He's talked about all of these grand ideas of grace and faith and our posture before God, both Jew and Gentile, and our posture before God as a church unified as the body uh, to serve out the mission of Christ here on the earth. He's done all of these things, and now he's shifting gears at the end of chapter number three. And he's going to say this, and I, 
I want you to understand just how much theology, just how much spiritual truth is shown in this passage here. And I want you to show how getting, I want you to see how getting the big things right brings the other things into your life. So watch this. The first idea, and we're reading at verse 14, the first idea is he is going to give us the image of proper order. And he does it like this. I bow on my knees. Now, real quick, bowing on the knees was not a Jewish posture of, of prayer. Uh, that's something that was started by the church. In Jewish tradition, they they stood while they prayed. Even today, if you uh, there's a live video cam of the Welling Wall in Jerusalem. And a lot of days in my office when I'm working or I'm studying for message, I'll pull up that webcam of the Welling Wall and I'll watch the, all those Jews praying for the return of the Messiah while I study. It's a live feed. You can access it on webcams. You watch them. They will stand there and they will pray. They will stand there and they pray. Paul gives them a different image of prayer and he is bowing on his knees. Now, there's no right or wrong way to do it. it the point of it is you are using posture to show the inclination of your heart toward God. That's why sometimes we raise our hands before his presence. This is an act of surrender. This Sometimes we, we steeple our hands as an act of consecration. Sometimes we cover our face as an act of focus. Sometimes we clap our hands as an act of divine adoration. Sometimes we wave our hands because we're giving God an inexpressible glory. Come on, First Church. Am I in the right church? This is why we do this. Sometimes we jump up in the air. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes we get plumb crazy. But that's going to not going to happen. Everybody on their best behavior here today. Uh, I want you to see uh, how this is a posture toward God. When the prophet ran before the Lord, his body is expressing the posture of his heart toward God. When we stand, when we leap for joy, you are expressing a posture of your heart. Paul shows submission to what? Divine order. And this is how he's going to show it. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are you saying? This is divine order. There is the in, intangible element of God, the eternal, the immutable, the unspeakable. This is God the eternal. We refer to him scripturally as God the Father. That's not our word. That's the Bible word. Uh, we didn't make it up. That's what Jesus called the difference between the flesh of God manifest in Jesus Christ, Son of Mary. This is the difference of the manifest flesh and the eternal God, which no man hath seen at any time. The scripture describes it as God the Father and Jesus not being ordinary flesh as God the Son. And you see not duality of deity. What you see is duality of the manifestation of the great work and nature of God. That's what you're seeing here. And you're seeing order. I bow my knees before to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom? The whole family in heaven and earth is named. What are you saying, Paul? He just gave you another theological truth. There is nothing that is outside the dominion of the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, the whole family of heaven and earth has been named. And so I don't stand here to celebrate Nathan Elm's righteousness. There's not much to celebrate. I'm here to celebrate Jesus Christ's righteousness. 
through Jesus Christ, the whole family of him. Man, hallelujah, hallelujah. I thought I'd be preached out today, and here I wish I was a good preacher. The whole family of heaven and earth has been named Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. He's giving you truths, and he's given to you understanding the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. All right, he's just given you another idea. Seven times, if I remember correctly, I don't have it in my notes, I believe it's seven times in the book of Ephesus, Paul will talk about the riches of God. This is a deep idea, deep understanding. The, the wealth that is the most valuable in our life is not the wealth that you put in a bank account or you put in a clearing account at a broker. The greatest wealth is spiritual wealth that is given to you through the presence of God. If you were raised by parents who, in spite of their imperfection, they put in you a love for the presence of God, you are so rich today. I said you are so rich today. It is in the glory of God that we discover the riches of his promise and his glory. And so you see this according to the riches of his glory we are strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man another theological idea he's tying all this together it sounds complicated because there's a lot of complicated theological realities that is going to be solved by something very simple I want you to see this there's a lot of complexity that's going to be solved by something very simple you don't need the complexity. You have something very simple. He describes it like this. All of these things, uh, uh, divine order, the power of the name of Jesus, the riches of God's glory, all of these things, these powerful, wonderful, admittedly a little bit complicated theological and spiritual truths. All of these things are going to strengthen the inner man, the inner woman. That is where our spiritual battle is. Did, did you hear what I just said? That is where your spiritual battle is, the inner man. We live as an outer being in flesh, but our eternity is held within the inner man, the inner woman of our spirit. And that is where the battle is in our lives. Can I have a big amen? That is where the struggle is. Now, again, he has given us another fairly complicated, even you could say uh, spiritually technical uh, subject to understand, and he's laid it on there, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So a lot of complexity. Now I'm going to give you the simple way to solve all of that complexity in your life, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Oh, I'm afraid that I, I just, I, I, I'm, let me try again. All of the stuff you don't understand is simplified by simply having the presence of God in your life. All of the struggles of spiritual order in the earth and rebellion of earth against heaven and demonic force, all of that is solved by having the presence of God in your life. Understanding the power of the dominion of, of God's uh, work of redemption whereby his righteousness becomes our righteousness and we take on not our name but his name. Oh, thank you Jesus for your name. We take on his name 
name. All of that is quite spiritually and theologically complex. I have a simpler plan for you. You need to let the presence of God get deep into your life. You want the riches of his glory? Understanding how God sees us with favor and understand how God blesses us with power and might. All of that is, there's an element of mystery there. I'm going to make it simple for you. You need to walk with the presence of God as the most important thing in your life. You need to let his presence take up residence in the temple of your heart. And how are you going to do it? You're going to do that by strengthening your faith in him, strengthening your faith in his word. All of that stuff that's so hard to know. I've spent my whole adult adult life almost compulsively studying these things. And I, at my best, admit how difficult it can be to understand the, the depth of the spiritual struggle and the theological uh, understanding. But this is what it all comes down to you. God's going to get all of this complicated, or Paul's going to explain all this complicated by giving you a goal that you would have Christ dwell in your heart's through faith. Oh, come on, church. The best thing that can happen to you is not to be powerful, but to have his presence with you. The best thing that can happen to this church is not to be mighty, but to have his presence with us. The best thing that can happen to us is to walk with him and to talk with him and to tell him that I am his own. Oh, I want to stand in the presence of God and I want to say, I am yours and you are mine. I want to know you, oh God. Here at our church, we crave this kind of a culture. We crave this kind of a simplification of all the things that we might struggle to define or struggle to explain, all the mystery of the fall and all the difficulty of the continued struggle between the outer man and the inner man and the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak and all of the naming through redemption of the whole family of God. All of these things, it comes down to this. You have an opportunity to receive the promise that the saints of old did not receive. And the Bible says even the angels wish they could look into. If you would like, you can open the door of your life and you can let the presence of God walk with you, live with you, commune with you, share with you, and bless you with his presence. If you allow that to happen, and I'm almost done, so just a moment more. If you allow that to happen, okay, Paul gave us this stack of fairly complex technical uh, insights and understandings. He gave us theological flashes. It's like when the lightning flashes and for a moment you can see the whole darkened countryside. He says these things. He talks about the Father. He talks about the name of the whole family of God. He talks about the might of God's presence and spirit. All of these things are like theological flashes where for a moment you see a glimpse of timeless truth. But he makes all of them simple and understandable when he says that Christ made dwell in your heart through faith. If that happens, a transformation happens to us. What is that transformation? We are rooted and grounded in love. This is the work of the church. This is the work of uh, the 
the kingdom of God in the earth. We are ambassadors of God's love. We are rooted and grounded in love. And if you are, hear me, hear me, I want you to get this. If you allow yourself to be rooted and grounded in love. Now the Bible tells us the nature of love. Uh, Love is kind, love is patient, love is gentle, love is long-suffering. If you allow the presence of God in your life, some transformation is going to happen. You're going to become somebody who has built your house upon the rock of God's love. You are rooted and grounded in love. If you allow that to happen, you serve God rooted and grounded in love. Some things are going to happen. Let me just touch this very quickly. First of all, because you are pursuing the presence of God, you're going to be freed from other people, whether they're doing good or whether they're doing bad. Why? You are being grounded in love through the presence of God. And when you love somebody, nothing will make you more patient with people. Church, we have to be patient with the the community, the city, the church, the people that God has called us to love. There is no perfect people available for your affection. Not even you. There's no perfect appeal. Who are these mythical, perfect people who show up as a perfectly constructed family unit, who've paid all their bills, have no problems, and want to attend your church? Where, where are these mythical people? I've never met them. Let me tell you who God has. God finds the broken, and God finds the lowly, and God finds us organized people. God finds us kind of flake, flaky people, and God begins to build us and strengthen us and found us. This is your opportunity to be an ambassador of God's love. If you spend time in his presence, you are transformed into his love. Now what happens? you're able to perceive the work of God in the earth. If you don't have his presence and you are not grounded in his love, you're going to struggle to see the dimensions of the kingdom. But Paul says, if you have his presence and if you're grounded in his love, you're going to perceive the dimensions of the kingdom of God. He says it like this, the width and the length And the height and the depth of the kingdom of God. If you struggle to let your heart be transformed to love, you're not going to see what God is doing. You'll only see your need to perfect yourself because you're living in fear. And you always believe if I'm not perfect enough, God's looking for a reason to cast me out. If you fail to perceive his presence and you fail to be grounded in his love, you will always serve in fear. And like the saints who did not receive this promise, you'll live in the Old Testament way of being, not with presence, but with obedience. Because law is what you get when you don't want presence. Law is the result of not having presence. It's like I told the 9 a.m. service. Never in the history of the world has any one person, one spouse said to another spouse, I love you so much I just had to cheat on you. You try saying that to your wife and then run as fast as you can because you're going to hear in the background the sound of a shotgun going. Never in the history of the world has somebody says, I've loved you so much, I had to betray you. When you love somebody, you're not looking to do the minimum. 
Do you see what I'm saying? So if you have a sense, and if you sometimes if you were raised in a very fearful way, and you have this image of God, and he's kind of up in heaven, he's got his hammer, and he's like, say my name. <laughs> Say my name. <laughs> you know, he's up there. He's up there looking. It, it's difficult for you because you have a better sense of fear than you have of love. But if you'll spend time, the solution is not more fear. And the solution is not even more obedience. The solution is presence. Because when you spend time in the presence of God, and this is why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I have a big first church amen? This is why you need the experience of God's presence. Because the answer to this is to spend more times with his presence. In his presence, you discover his love and perfect love casts out fear. Oh, praise God. So I'm, I'm finishing musicians. You can come and play. I want to remind you of this before I bring this all to a conclusion. When Paul talks about that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, he's talking to saved people. He's writing to the church that he built there. He's not talking just about that initial moment of salvation where perhaps you repent for the first time or, or even if you begin to incline your heart toward God and you know you're not really where you would like, need, want, uh, where your mama's happy about you. <laughs> And you know you need to do better. And you start, the most powerful moment is when you first begin inclining yourself to God. Why is that so powerful? I'll tell you why. Because he who began a good work in you is able to finish that work. And I have so much confidence in God's ability to finish what he started in you guys. Don't believe the lies of the devil who said, oh, you failed here and you failed there. Believe this. The God who started this in you is able to finish what he started in you. Not only that, he is able to present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. And so when Paul writes to saved people that they need to dwell, they need to allow the presence of God to dwell in their hearts, it's like a preacher saying, look, I know you've been saved a long time. I'm still inviting you to live a spiritual life. Do you see that? I know you've been in church for a long time, but I'm inviting you to intentionally place the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, your day tomorrow. I'm inviting you to live spiritually. I'm inviting you to take your quiet times and reflect upon God's goodness in your life. If you will begin to listen, God will begin to speak to you. And if you will begin to spiritually knock, he will begin to answer to you. And if you will open your eyes, you will see the work of God in the earth. Our challenge, our pursuit. This preacher's pursuit is to pursue the presence of God in, in, in my life. Pursue the presence of God in our home. Pursue the presence of God as a church. Because when that happens, first of all, we're founded in Christ's love. We don't live in fear. We don't have to worry about other people. We don't have to let our confidence come from other people. We are founded in love. And if we're not founded in love, we will always struggle to pursue the work of God in the earth. Let me say that again. If we aren't founded in love, we will always struggle to perceive the work of God in the earth. The work of God will always be about us and acts of self-preservation and self-perfection. We won't see the work of God in the earth. But if God fills you with a love for people, broken, unorganized, flaky people just like you, <laughs> people are pitiful and we're all people. Somebody say that's some fine preaching. My God, I have to, I have to, I have to Jones for my own compliments. Um, I, 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 people are pitiful and we're all people. 
So what I want you to see is this. However, when you spend times in his presence, you begin to perceive his love. If you perceive his love, you begin to see the dimensions of the kingdom of God in the earth, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width. You begin to, you are fulfilled with his work. You are filled with his presence. You are filled with his love. And it all started with this great gift God's made available to you. You can have the presence of God in your life. The veil of the temple has been rent top to bottom. And you can step into the holy of holies and you can host the presence of God. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, you see every heart here today. Church, pray with me right now. Lord, you see every heart here today. You know where we are. You know the difficulty it can be for us to turn away from carnality and begin to seek to walk spiritually. To turn away from the ease of just a a logical existence and begin to pursue a sense of God's presence in our life. Lord, I'm praying that you would grant this church the strength to do that because in your presence is fullness of joy and in your presence we are fulfilled by your promise and in your presence we are filled by your love and in your presence we are able to perceive the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be like people who their main that the main thing they see is obedience and law. They they always struggle to see the kingdom of God. They always struggle to see the work of God because they aren't being founded in the love that is the result of your presence in their life, Lord Jesus. I am praying today that we would be filled to overflowing with your presence. I pray for every person here today, Lord. We're at all of us at different seasons of our life. We're at all of us at different ages. It's so easy for us to surrender to fear. It's so easy for each of us respectively to kind of just live a, a life of acceptance and the logical explanation. But you've challenged us to, to invite your presence, the Holy Spirit into our life as fellowship. Not just a moment of salvation, but as fellowship. I'm praying for that in my life and I'm praying for that in every individual of this church here today. Meet us. Fill us, wash us, cleanse us, change us. In Jesus' name I pray. And let the church say amen. If you're visiting with us today and you, you need, you'd like to be dismissed, you can be dismissed at any time. It is our habit right now to have a prayer service at the end of our teaching, at the end of our preaching. I'd like to invite every single person here who you are hungry for the presence of God in your life. Not just as a religious label, but as an act of your daily experience. I'd like you to take a step of, of confession, a step of submission. I'd like you to step out of the chair you're in. I'd like you to come as close as you can here to the front. We're going to worship together for a few moments. We're going to pray together for a few moments. We're going to stand in his presence and we're going to ask God to let his presence fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, feel free to step out. This is our time to surrender to God and God are not a result of having access to his power or his mind. The greatest blessings in God is having access to his presence. This is why we must be people of the Spirit. And this is why we must turn away intentionally from certain things in our life that are destroying that life of the Spirit within us. Is that okay? 
And I don't mean me giving you a list of what you can and can't do. That's too easy. I mean you pursuing the life of the Spirit. You can follow my list and be as carnal as a boot. I know. I followed lists and been as carnal as a boot. In fact, I've been as carnal as a muddy boot. That's not, the, that's not what we're invited to do. We're invited to turn our heart toward the life of the Spirit. And we begin to walk as though the Spirit is not just, you know, God's with us. No, God is with us. And His Spirit, if you are going to see the work of God in your life, you're going to have to be transformed into His love. And if you're not, then you're not going to see the dimensions of the kingdom. You're going to live in fear. You're going to live in a sense of, oh, I've got to be good enough. Or, oh, you're not saved and you are saved. We'll walk around with a sense of judgment where we review the world and have contempt for sinners because we've not been transformed by love. But in His presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is, oh, in Jesus' name, let this be in our heart, oh God. If we become spiritual, you can be mighty. You don't have to be mighty. You just have to have his presence. You can be the most powerful person in the world while you're walking in his presence. And as a church, if you're going to see what is the height and the depth and the breadth of the work, the kingdom, the dimensions of God in your life, you're going to have to walk in his presence and be transformed by his love. But if you will do that, you will have the opportunity to see that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Somebody say, that's me. To all generations forever and ever. And let the church say, Oh, let's praise him one more time before we're dismissed here today. We bless your name in this in this house. We exalt your name in our in this sanctuary. We honor you and glorify you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a, a fair number of new guests here today. Thank you for worshiping with with us. We love you. Starting next Sunday is first steps. Uh, I'd love to get to know you there. So be mindful of that. Also, seven days of prayer and fasting. You need to set aside some days. You know you do. Pursue the presence of God. Turn toward the spiritual. Turn away from the carnal. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.